Good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. There you go. That's better. Well, welcome to church this morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm looking forward to uh, exploring the book of James with you. Uh, let me pray before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this time together, and I ask that you move powerfully among us this morning uh, for the sake of your name and the sake of your glory. Amen. So if you've been here at all this summer, uh, you know that we've been working through a series on James, and today is the last week. So everything you've learned uh, and heard about and whatever kind of gets wrapped up today, and in the, in the spirit of that and in the spirit that you know, school is about to start in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a test this morning. Who's up for a test? Ooh, yeah, half the people, ooh, the other half, oh, a test. You guys are nerds, the ones who want the test. Uh, but I'm going to have five phrases on the screen. And uh, your job is simply, if you think this is from the book of James, so you've got to kind of pay attention here. And, oh, another thing, close your Bible, put your phone in your pocket. No cheating. I'll just leave it at that. So you've got to go from your memory. I'm going to have five phrases on the screen. If you think they're from the book of James, just point that way. Because we've got to figure out somehow. So just kind of point that way if you think it's from James. And if you think it's not from James, point that way. Clear? Any confusion there? And you got to commit. And nothing bad's going to happen. I'm not going to single you out. So you're totally free to put your hands either way. Nothing bad's going to happen. All right? So here's the first one. If you think it's from James, point that way. If you think it's not James, point that way. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generally without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. James or not James? Come on, commit, people. There you go. Yes, it is James. James 1.5. Who was too scared to pick anything? Because I know who you are. Okay, the next one. That was an easy one, right? Mercy triumphs over justice. Or sorry, mercy triumphs over judgment. James or not James? Uh, not so sure. Come on, Kent. Which one? James that way? Not James that way. It is James. James chapter 2. Who was not paying attention a few weeks ago in James chapter 2? All right. Third one. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. James, not James. Not James. That's First uh, Peter chapter 5. Anybody three for three so far? Nobody's three for three so far? <laughs> uh, okay, okay, we go. Oh, okay, perfect. So we're all cheering for you. If you're three for three, we're going to cheer that you're going to get five for five. All right, number four. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James, not James. Go. James. Uh, that's James chapter 3. All right, last one. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, not James. Not James. Finally, somebody with confidence says something. Not James. Exactly. That is Colossians chapter 3. Anybody five for five? Anybody get... Some of you got five? Good job. Anybody get four? Okay, we got some four. Three? A few more threes. Two? One? One. <laughs> Hooray for mediocrity. I was going to say for mediocrity, but that's not even mediocre. Hooray for below average. <laughs> Just saying. 
Anyway, so we, you can open up your Bibles, pull out your phone. We're going to turn to James chapter 5 this morning. Uh, the last three verses, James 19, to, or sorry, the last two verses, James 5, 19 to 20. Uh, so it's going to be in the screen at one point here in a second. Uh, but if you have your Bible, pull out your Bible or on your phone. Uh, here's my own little personal preference. If you actually have a printed Bible, I think you engage more. Because what happens with your eyes is you read the verse and you automatically look what's ahead and what's behind. And you kind of see what's going on in the context. And you learn so many other things. And I, I, I would actually argue you hear God's voice a little bit better if you see what's going on around. So yeah, totally use your phone. You know, use what's on the screen. But if you actually have a Bible you engage in a different level. So I'd encourage you to, to, to do that, one of those people. Now, before I get into these verses, uh, let me just say really uh, three quick things about James because we've been going through it this summer. And so some of us may have forgotten uh, what the context is, who James is, what's really going on. So James, the letter of James in the New Testament was more than likely written by the half-brother of James, uh, of Jesus, I mean. Uh, so Jesus, of course, born to Mary, uh, and not from Joseph, but through the Holy Spirit. But Mary and Joseph had kids after that. And Scripture records at least four brothers that Jesus had. And one of those was James. And so this, most scholars, and I would agree with this, would conclude that the James that wrote this letter was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, if you stop and think for a second, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Older siblings already have a bit of a complex about, you know, it's like, oh, you think you're perfect, whatever. Well, what do you do if your older brother actually is perfect? Uh, so James grew up with Jesus. So when he's saying things uh, about Jesus uh, and about what it means to follow Jesus, literally his whole life he has seen Jesus. So he's speaking from a, a pretty unique position. Uh, James was also one of the first New Testament books written, probably in the 40s or 50s. So when we look at the New Testament and the order that Scripture was written, the book of James actually paints one of the earliest pictures. So we can learn a lot from this. Uh, James was also written to people who were scattered away from Jerusalem. So the early church, the first group of Christians, they were in Jerusalem. And then through time, they spread and, and followers of Jesus would be elsewhere. James is writing to those people. So you could say that James is actually writing to us because we would rep we'd be part of that scattering, part of those groups of people who are no longer in Jerusalem. You know, and so these would be people who heard of Jesus. Uh, they may have never actually met Jesus because that was only a few years earlier that Jesus was around, uh, but they wouldn't have met him or known him. So Je or James is talking about them, about Jesus to them. And then the last thing, uh, and again, if you've been here for the summer, you've picked this up anyways, the two big themes in James are holy living, James kind of says, yeah, it's great that you believe the good things and the right things. That's awesome that you believe. Like, don't stop believing. But if you don't actually live it out, do you really believe it? And he asks some pretty hard questions. Like, blah, 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 you can talk. How do you live? That's the true indicator of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. And then his second theme is perseverance. It's not easy being a follower of Jesus. It wasn't back then. It's not now for different reasons. But James says, persevere, be patient, endure. You can do this. You can live this way. Keep doing it because one day uh, the Lord is coming back. Those are kind of the big pictures of James. Now, with that in mind, uh, let me read uh, James 5, 19 to 20. So that's kind of the back picture uh, about this, the verses that we're going to read. Uh, My brothers... 
he says. And just a little note, uh, in, it's Adelphi is a Greek term. Uh, often when that is used in the New Testament, it means brothers and sisters. Like it's not a, it's not a gender thing or a sexist thing. Uh, just like, you know, you and I walk into a room and say, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, there's a whole bunch of people in that room. Nobody actually knows or cares that guys is actually a masculine term. We all know that it refers to everybody. And so letters like this where the authors, are, depending on your translation of the Bible, if it says brothers, some will say brothers and sisters, it essentially means, hey, all of you who follow Jesus. Uh, so don't, don't read really tight gender into this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now there is a ton in there uh, that we're going to unpack. But before we do, let me tell you a story. Uh, how many of you uh, like hiking or trail running or snowshoe? You can put your hand up. Nothing's bad's going to happen. This is a safe question. Uh, like, you like being outdoors on trails, wandering around. How many of you like that? And if you're watching on video, you can play along too. Put your hand up, even if you're by yourself, whatever. But just play along. Uh, so how many of you, now if you're really honest, you know, and, and you're like, this is actual honest, honest. This is a hard question. Have ever been lost? I'm impressed with how many of you are honest. Probably the rest of you have been lost. Just aren't putting your hands up right now. Uh, you know the feeling if you're, you're driving somewhere or you're hiking, you're snowshoeing or you're running. And that moment when all of a sudden it kind of clicks and you go, I don't know if I know where I am. You've had that feeling. I had that, I'm a trail runner. Uh, I've had that feeling more than once because I think I know where I'm going and whatever. I don't always. Well, a number of years ago, uh, I was, uh, a bunch of us were on a, a hike. Uh, this is up in northern British Columbia, a place called Raven Lake uh, we were going to. Kind of between, if you know BC geography, between uh, Prince George and Jasper. And it's along that corridor there. And uh, a bunch of us were going to go to this lake and, and, and just, you know, hang out there because it's a beautiful place. Two of us left a few days early and we went to Jasper in the Rockies, spent a few days hiking in there, and then we were going to come back. And at the same time that people from Prince George were going to come out and do a day trip and we were going to meet together at Raven Lake. So they were doing a day trip. We were doing a multi-day thing. We were going to meet back there. And everything was going well. Ian and I, we were the two guys who went and did the, the bunch of the extra hiking. I had a great time in Jasper. If you've been there in the Rockies, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, had a beautiful time. So much fun. On the day we were coming back then to meet people at Raven Lake, I woke up that morning and I felt kind of sick, so I didn't eat anything, uh, which didn't seem like a big deal at the time. As the story unfolds, it's like, oh, that becomes a big deal. Uh, so I start that day feeling sick, not eating anything. So we go there, uh, we, meet, we go to the trailhead, and we're climbing up one side, a longer trek, and then they were going to leave later and meet us. And uh, we walk past this, if you know anything about those, that area, there's a place called Grizzly Den, which is actually a really dumb name for a hike, um, and Raven Lake. And so we went up to Grizzly Den, and we'd done this before, and then the plan uh, went up there was to cut uh, to the west and then go over to Raven Lake. So everything is going fine, we got to Grizzly Den, uh, you know, and, and we knew what we were doing. We'd been there before. We left there on our way to Raven Lake, and both Ian and I didn't bother to pull out a map because we'd been there before. You know where the story's going. And, uh, and so we start hiking along, and we go over this ridge, and we go down, and both of us kind of make the comment, man, this, I don't remember the trail being this rough before. I mean, I know it's, we were just here last year, a couple years ago, whatever, but it must have, whatever. So we carry on, go up a ridge, and working going up the ridge is not much of a trail. And I'm like, man, there is this... 
I, man, they really let this thing fall apart. There, the trail always used to be better than this. Where's the flagging? Where's the whatever? Went down again, got to the bottom, and that's where we had that moment where it's like, uh, I think we're lost. I don't know where we are. And you've, if you know, ever had that feeling, you know how it just your stomach kind of sinks, your heart rate goes up, and you go, okay, it's all going to be fine. I'm a guy. I know how to get out of this. And uh, I'm going to ask for directions. No, I'm not going to ask for directions. And uh, anyway, so we were in this valley, and we're like, okay, we actually, this is not where we're supposed to be. Okay, we're going to go up that next ridge because we'd been there enough times that we thought if we go to that ridge, we'll look around, we'll see roughly where we are, and we can get back. So we climbed up there, and it was hard because there was no trail at this point. We get to the ridge. We look out and we're like, oh, we're like a couple valleys off of where we're supposed to be. We knew enough of the geography to know that we were supposed to be over there. Okay, great. We're not lost anymore, but now we have to get back there. And of course, time is running out. This, we are now hours and hours off pace, right? And so darkness is starting to come in. Fatigue is starting to come in because me, being the guy who didn't eat breakfast, that's kicking in. Uh, so we go work our way back to the trail, got to the main trail, um, and then turned uh, to the, to the uh, I guess that would have been to the west, to go to the lake. And so you kind of relax in at that point, right? Because, okay, we're on the trail, we're good to go. Well, that's where my fatigue set in. That's where my sickness set in. And so I remember, this is now, it's getting to be dusk. We're in the middle of nowhere on this trail, a long way from where we're supposed to be, where the cabin is uh, at the lake. It's a beautiful place, by the way, if you ever want to go hiking there, as long as you stay on the trail. And... Um, and I started then, like if you've ever been to the spot where you're exhausted, my mind started doing stupid things. And I'm like, oh, Ian, you know what? Just go ahead. Uh, I'll just lay here on the side of the trail and you can come back and get me in the morning. We just passed Grizzly Den. Hmm, that's a smart idea. And uh, so I'm like, just, no, forget it. I'm fine. Or I can come during the night or whatever. Just leave me here. And that made sense in my mind. Like it actually made sense. I'm going to just lay here. Ian's like, no, 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 you're not. And long story short, uh, essentially he forced me to get all the way during the night to this cabin and I didn't want to go there. I was exhausted. We crashed. The next morning when our friends came out to meet us there, I was so weak I couldn't actually even carry my backpack on the way down. Someone else had to carry it. Uh, and it was what turned out to be a beautiful trip. It was just a disaster for me because I wandered off the trail, wasn't prepared, I started thinking dumb things, and it wasn't it was only because I had a good friend with me who kept me on the trail that actually we got to the cabin and then actually back home. The reason I'm telling you that story is I want you to keep that in your head as we go through this, these two verses in James. Because James talks about wandering, being brought back, and he's describing something very similar but just on a spiritual level. Now, to do that, I want to look at five phrases. Um, they're going to be on the screen there. And we're going to just kind of methodically go through James 5, 19 to 20. So if you have your Bible, great, because again, you can see the context, but they're going to be on the screen uh, as well. And the first one is simply this, wanders from the truth. Now here, uh, when, I, when I first read these verses, not first, but in preparation for this, uh, James 5, 19 to 20, it, as you're reading through the letter of James, if, if, if you read along, you get to those verses, it kind of feels weird uh, where it gets to verse 19 and 20. It's like, oh, these don't really fit. Did Dane just kind of run out of space or have extra space, I mean, in his paper and added a couple of verses? Like, they seem a little bit out of step. And I thought, these, are these an add-on? Or like, how does this work? The more I read it, the more frequently I read it, I'm like, no, these two verses actually are the perfect summary of the entire book of James. And they summarize what James's main point is. And he's saying, 
don't wander from the truth. Here is the truth, but the, we're wandering away from it is determined by how you live. Not just what you say you believe, but how you live. And so what James says, the first part is, is uh, if some of you wander from the truth, and the truth is simply what James has been talking about the rest of this letter, or the entire letter. And if you've been here this summer, you know uh, the whole living, uh, you know, ha having wisdom, not showing favoritism, everything that, that was talked about this whole summer, that's truth. And James is saying, if some of you wander from that. Now, the danger of rejecting truth is actually a theme that's pretty dominant in the Bible. Uh, a couple quick examples, if you go to the Old Testament, you could... If you know the character of King Solomon, who knew truth well, was actually described as being incredibly wise, had a lot going on up here, wisdom, truth. God spoke to him, gave him truth and direction, and he started well, but over his life, you see him start to drift and make choices that are out of sync with the truth that he said. Uh, Solomon's actually a bit of a tragic character in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, if you go to Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, these early Christians who are right there as everything is kind of exploding and unfolding, they start to deviate from the truth and start lying, and they, they experience actually the ultimate consequences. And this, the whole idea of people rejecting the truth, walking away from the truth, the truth being a way, like a way you can go down and you can wander off it, that's a common theme uh, in, in the Bible. And James picks up that theme quite early uh, in, in this first book. And the whole point with being with wandering and not wandering is being relentless in your loyalty and being relentless in your commitment. Because what happens, if this is the path to walk down, that first little small step starts to go off and then that trajectory gets bigger and bigger. Like when we were hiking, you know, the first little step off the path, didn't even notice really, uh, whatever. And then you kind of go, and, and by the time you realize it's too late. And so with wandering, what James is saying, and he's talking to the, the readers here, these are Christians, these are followers of Jesus saying, if any of you wander from the truth, so he starts by saying it's possible for some of you who say you follow Jesus, who really say you follow Jesus, to wander from the truth. We're going to pick that up again in a second. The next phrase that he talks about uh, that James used is someone brings him back. That's an interesting one as well. Uh, let me read something from Jude uh, a little bit later. Another lesser known book uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Jude picks up this theme as well and talking about uh, someone wandering away and being brought back. This is uh, verses 22 and 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. I love that verse. We could do a whole other message on being merciful to those who doubt as opposed to uh, being angry and frustrated with those who doubt and kicking them out. That seems dumb. We should be merciful to people who doubt, and we doubt. Um, anyway, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. I love that idea of, of saving others by snatching them from the fire. Because if you remember as a kid maybe, or if you have kids, uh, with, you're camping, there's a campfire, and you see one of your small children run towards the fire or walk towards the fire, you don't just stand there with your words and say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go, oh, I see where this is going. Right? You don't do that at all. You rip out of your chair. You reach over as fast as you can. You grab them by whatever you can grab them by, and you pull them back. That's what James is talking about here. Some of us actually are called to bring others back. And that's not just with our words, that's with our actions. So Jude uh, talks about that a little bit. And interestingly, Jude is not also talking about conversion. He's not talking about people coming to the faith. He's writing to people who follow Jesus, who are drifting away, and saying some of you need to bring people back 
who have drifted away. I have a hard time with this personally, actually, because uh, it's not hard, and maybe you're like me, uh, it's not hard for me to see people whose trajectory goes off. In fact, I often say that to my wife or other people, oh man, you can see where their path's going, can't you? And I say that, and I do nothing. And that's sin, that's pathetic, that's horrible, it's selfish. But I have a tendency to do that. I am, you know, and maybe some of you are like that too, and James is starting to say here as he's setting it up a little bit later, you know, some of you wander from the truth, some of you will bring them back. We need people, we need to be people who bring others back, who bring them back from the fire, like search and rescue. That's not just a physical thing, that's a spiritual thing as well. The third phrase, uh, you know, some people wander from, or people wander from the truth, someone brings them back, and then a sinner from his wandering or from his errors. Now what's interesting in this phrase, uh, the wanderer in the beginning is a verb, so it's someone who wanders. Here, James switches the language, and if you're kind of a language nerd, it's a compound noun. Uh, So a sinner who comes back from their wandering, the thing that they're doing, the wandering is a noun, it's the thing that they uh, are leaving behind. So just as when I was hiking and Ian and I were hiking, we had to leave the path that was wrong, and go back to the right path, there's things in our lives that we probably need to leave behind. I'll talk about that uh, in just a couple of minutes, but that's one of those big kind of life questions. And, and James gets at this, that what are those things in our life that we need to leave behind? Because they're actually causing us to wander. Maybe it's something that only you know about. It's something in here. No one else has a clue. Maybe it's something that everybody sees that you've been, and it's been a thing in your life for a long time or a short, doesn't matter what it is, but what are the things, are there things in my life, in your life that we need to leave behind so we can get back on the path? There's a fourth, fourth phrase, uh, save someone uh, from death, save their soul from death. Uh, James ha- doesn't waste his words. He says some pretty strong things. Like he's saying the stakes are high. Uh, he's saying the stakes are very high. He actually talks about this a little bit earlier in, uh, in James 1, 14 to 15. Here's what he says. Uh, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after deceit, or sorry, a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what James is saying, um, the stakes are high. That path, if this is the path of truth and you and I wander off it, ultimately left unchecked, uncorrected, that path goes to death. Which is why you get his language, save them. You know, Jude's language, grab them from the fire. Do whatever, because that path ultimately left unchecked leads to death. James doesn't mince words, does he? Like he is not worried about being politically correct or safe or whatever. He's like, no, you need to know. You need to know if this path, if you keep going down that path, it only ends up in one place, eternal spiritual death. That can't happen. Don't let others go down that path. And then there's one last phrase. uh, To cover, if if that happens, it'll cover over a multitude of sins. I love that phrase. Uh, It probably means forgiveness. And if you go back, uh, I'll read it to you, but Psalm 32 is uh, a fascinating picture that talks about this whole idea of covering. Uh, What does it mean to cover over sins? And who does the covering? This is Psalm 32, 1 to 5. And it's probably more than likely in the back of James's head as he writes this stuff. It's a common theme in the Old Testament. 
Blessed is the one whose uh, transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. And then the psalmist kind of speaks personally. Uh, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in in the heat of summer. This is the key. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Notice that the sinner can't cover up their own iniquity, their own sin, but God can and God does. I uh, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. It's a picture of forgiveness, right? Here's someone, often wandering happens in slow steps and progression. Sometimes we do it in big steps, whatever, but sometimes it's slow. Regardless of how long it takes to wander, you and I can come back in an instant. Whether we're one foot off the trail or 20 kilometers off the trail, we can come back in an instant and God forgives so how does this work in a church? How does this work in Central Heights? How does this work anywhere? Uh, well, let me tell you, paint another picture for you. How many of you have heard of something called the Wood Wide Web? You've heard of the World Wide Web. Anybody heard of the Wood Wide Web? I thought it was a joke when I first heard of it. It's actually legit. Anybody heard of it? So uh, this is, again, northern BC. A few years ago, in the 90s, I think it was, there was a forest ecologist who was uh, working with uh, some pl- uh, plots of land that were being reforested because uh, been trees had been cut down and, and they were replanting. And the thinking of the day was, uh, and they were planting fir trees. And so as they were planting all these fir trees, they thought, well, we actually need to get rid of all the aspen trees in this area or whatever other kind of trees because these are going to be competing for the same resources, same nutrients. So let's plant fir trees, rip out aspen trees, and so it's just fir trees. And so what they discovered in the places where they did this, um, the fir trees actually didn't grow well. They actually struggled in there. That doesn't make any sense because we've taken everything else out. It should just be these fir trees. And so to make a long story short, this one forest ecologist, as she was wrestling through that, she goes, oh, I wonder if we're thinking about this all wrong. Trees aren't actually competing for resources Maybe they're sharing resources. So she went on a quest, and, and I'm, I'm condensing the story really quickly, but if you go online and search for this, it's fascinating. Um, discovered as they dug into the forest floor that there is a whole network of fungi that, inter, or that connects all of these trees. So every tree has roots that go down, right? Tree has roots, this tree has roots, and whatever. And they don't connect necessarily, but there's this whole web of fungi that control or connects everything. And so this tree is connected through its roots to this network, and then this tree over here is connected to its network. So they realized, okay, they're connected, but what does that mean? So they took some uh, radioactive isotopes and injected them in these fir trees, because then you can track that with equipment, right, what happens? And they could actually track, trace nutrients going from a a healthy fir tree over here through this network of fungi to a young fir tree or a sick fir tree. And they would, who knows how they communicate, maybe they're like the ants in the Lord of the Rings, I don't know. But they, some, uh, I don't actually believe that in case you're wondering. Somehow they would know and they would, they, would, they would sense that these other trees needed nutrients, so they're young trees or sick, tree, sick trees. They would also found uh, fir, trees that the, uh, fir trees that were dying would actually get rid of their nutrients and they would go to the young trees. And this whole community, uh, these trees worked together. And then what was really fascinating was they found out that these aspen trees were also sending nutrients to these fir trees that were growing. So those are different species. Anyways, this picture emerged of this 
this, of a forest being actually a community with everything working together, trees sharing, somehow sensing whatever, I don't know how all that works, where the resources needed to go. Uh, because if a tree was sick, the other trees would send nutrients so that it was healthy. If a tree was young, other trees would send nutrients there so that it would grow strong. What a picture of Christian community. What would that be like if we, as we look around and see people who wander, rather than going, oh, they're wandering, we marshal our nutrients, our resources, whatever, to help them, to bring them strong, to make them strong, to bring them back. What if we're that person who is wandering and we come into a community and other people bring us back, give us nutrients, draw us back in? What a powerful picture uh, of community, of what James is talking about here. So I have three questions for us to ask ourselves here at the end. Uh, kind of, you know, where, where would I find myself in the story? One of the places we could find ourselves in the story is I may go, am I the wanderer myself? Like, am I the person who wanders? Uh, you know, how, how aware of my own life am I? Uh, if I'm actually honest with myself, you know, I don't, you know, and I just work that through, I go, yeah, you know what, I've wandered. I am wandering. Uh, maybe no one else even knows. Maybe it's just up here. Our, our thoughts, our, our beliefs, our, our what, where our mind goes starts to wander. Maybe we go, man, I've been wandering. Everybody knows I've been wandering. Wherever. Have you and I wandered? I love this story. I love James. I love that wood wide web thing. I love even the story of me and Ian at Raven Lake. If you and I wander, we can come back. It doesn't matter how far. It doesn't matter the reason for the wandering. It doesn't matter if people know or not. We can come back. One of the things uh, that often stops us come fr- from coming back, though, is shame, right? And we go, I can't, I can't come back. Well, a newsflash, everybody here is screwed up. All of us are messed up. There are no perfect people in this room. There are no perfect people watching on video. There are no perfect people on the world. Every one of us has wandered at some point, is wandering. And so imagine if we, if this church was like that community, that forest, and as you wander, you go, I can come back. So here's the thing. If you have felt shame from church leaders on behalf of church leaders, because I have been one, I am one, I want to apologize I hope this place is never a place where you feel shame. If you wander, come back. Second phrase is maybe you're someone in this story who sees someone wandering. Uh, you know, a question maybe to ask yourself and ask me, ask myself, do I know my friends and family enough to know whether or not they're wandering? Because sometimes wandering starts in here a whole lot earlier than it starts out here in terms of what I do. Do I know people well enough? Am I in those kinds of relationships to know uh, that people are, are wandering? Do I see that? Uh, maybe another question to ask ourselves, are, are my expectations around people so high that's almost forcing them to wander? Maybe we need to relax a little bit. But are we seeing people? Are you seeing people who wander? Is that where you are? Let the story go, yeah, I can think of people who are wandering. Or are you the third person? Are you actually actively bringing people back? Like my friend Ian, if he hadn't actually, I think if I remember correctly, at one point he actually had his hands on me picking me up, right? Uh, If he hadn't have done that, I'd probably still be on that trail, uh, being eaten by a bear that lived in Grizzly Den. That's still what a dumb name for a trail. Um, But he actually actively brought me back. 
That's the call for all of us who follow Jesus, is to bring people back. Not in a way that we think we're the Holy Spirit and that our job is to convict people and to judge people and to whatever, but it's to bring people back into relationship with Jesus. So I don't know where you're at uh, this morning, uh, but you've probably all heard that phrase, uh, all who wander are not lost. Um, that's, that's true in all kinds of contexts, but I actually think it's incomplete. Uh, and what James's point is, is this last statement. And I would rephrase it and be along the lines of uh, everyone who wanders or wherever you have wandered, you can find your true home in Jesus. So I would invite you this morning, if in your heart, in your mind, you're going, I think I've wandered. I don't think I have. I know I've wandered to come back to Jesus this morning, to come back to the cross. I'm going to pray in a second, and then we're going to sing one more song. And if you've been here at the church for any length of time, you know that after the service, we have people at the front praying. Um, and you can come forward for prayer. I'll, I'll give you an extra invitation this morning. If you know that you've wandered, and today is the day you want to come back. Again, whether you've wandered just a little bit or a long bit, whatever it is, whether people know, whether people don't know, but you're going, I need, I want, I have to come back to Jesus. That's my true home. Then I would encourage you and I would invite you as we're singing, as we're standing and singing here in a second, there's a cross right there. If it would be symbolic to walk to the front and stand by that cross as a way of saying, Jesus, I'm coming back. I would invite you to do that. Nothing's going to happen to you. No one's, you know, you're not going to, this is a safe place. But if it is a symbolic thing for you to do that, I would invite you to do that this morning. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your heart is huge for those of us who wander. And you want us to come home. You are desperate for us to come home. And that we can come home in an instant, no matter how far we have wandered. Uh, whether other people know it or just we know, whatever, it doesn't matter. We can come home. I thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your relentless love. And I thank you for your call to come home to you. So move powerfully in us, even this morning as we sing. Amen.